when Jake was about eight years old, um, we were out in the backyard building a, a, like a fort, a little clubhouse kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm teaching him how to swing a hammer and all those kind of things. And, and, and I had just set a post, and, and there was a board kind of halfway across the hole, and he was standing on it. And well, when I moved one board, it moved the board he was standing on and, 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 and dislodged his footing. And so he proceeded to slip down in the hole, and when he did that, he conked his chin on, on the post that we had just set, and, and, and he started bleeding, and it cut open, and that's probably why he wears a beard today to cover that thing, but um, um, it cut his chin. He was bleeding pretty good, and he's just eight years old, and he probably needed stitches. Then he had to run in the house and get a Band-Aid, and then he had to tell his mother what was going on. And I mean, it just turned into this whole thing. The whole day was messed up. I'm trying to spend time with my son, and the whole thing is all messed up. He's bleeding. I don't know if he was crying or not. He might have been, but let's not tell him he, I said that, all right? And he's crying, and mom's putting a Band-Aid on it. And of course, you know how mothers are. You you know, they got to disinfect it, and they got to pray over it and cast demons out of it. And I mean, I mean, they just got to really go for it, you know. And, and it's like the whole event now is all messed up. And I tried explaining to Jake. I don't know why he couldn't get it through his head. I tried to explain to him I didn't mean to do it. But I mean, no, that didn't change anything. Whether I meant to do it or not, wouldn't you think that's a given that a dad didn't mean to do that, right? I tried to explain to him I didn't mean to do it. I tried to convince him that it was just an accident, and he didn't need to be making a big deal out of it, because after all, it was only an accident. Now, of course, you know I'm being silly to make a point in this final part, because, watch this, there is not necessarily a correlation between intent and outcome. Oh, you forgot how to say amen while I was gone? Come on now. Okay, well, I'll just say it again, all right? There is not necessarily correlation between intent and outcome. How many have ever been hurt? Thank you very much. How many have ever been hurt by something and you said, well, I didn't mean to? Well, of course you didn't mean to unless you're insane or something. Of course you didn't mean to hurt your spouse. Of course I didn't mean to bust Jake's chin. Of course we didn't mean to, but there is not necessarily a correlation between what we're trying to do and what we do. There's no correlation between intent and outcome, and that's where I want to dive in today. See, the reason I think that this series on confronting conflict is so important, because if we don't confront conflict, then conflict grows inside of us. Have you noticed that? If you don't resolve it with one person, chances are you'll take that unresolved conflict and you'll take it to another person. Who, who am I talking to today? We had one relationship, and it didn't go good, and so we just bailed on that relationship, and we think we're going to go find Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect, but the problem is we take all that unresolved conflict, and we bring all that baggage to the new person. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? You don't do that, but you know somebody who does that, right, everybody? All right. And so if we don't deal with it, what happens is it grows in our minds. It, it, watch this. It will grow even when it's out of mind. 
even when we're not thinking about it. It'll grow, and it can be the root source of many other issues that we deal with in life, and we don't correlate the two because we've never dealt with the conflict in our life. And when we don't deal with it, here's a setup for next week, it becomes a stronghold in our mind. A stronghold is nothing more than a wrong way of processing or a wrong way of thinking, or watch this, a wrong way of reacting towards something. See, Christians, we know how to act but the question becomes, do we know how to react? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know how to act. Uh, but, but, but we can see our maturity when we see how do we react to certain situations. And conflicts, and it, it, it hurts us, and it wounds us, and it can damage us if we don't confront it. And if we don't confront it, the conflict will forever haunt us. Because we're intimidated to deal with it here, so we don't deal with it here. And our life becomes like Velcro and all these unresolved conflicts are around it. It grows. Uh, it's kind of like, a, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know if I'm a little loud, but I'm probably going to shout because it looks like some of them need it. So turn me down just a little bit. All right. Uh, just one or two people, that's all. All right. So, so have you ever noticed the story of David and the Goliath? This is just a little side note, but I think it'll bring it back. David and Goliath, the Bible says for 40 days Goliath came down and intimidated the armies of Israel. For 40 days. Don't you think by the 40th day he was more intimidating than he was on day one? I mean, I just imagine him going down there in the valley going, yo, anybody want to fight, you know? And, 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 of course, they said no. So he gained confidence. So his confidence grew and their fear grew. And the gap became wider and wider. You see, ladies and gentlemen, that's what happens when we fail to confront the things that are our own Goliaths and our own giants in life. Our lives are formed by the conflicts that we go through. But here's the question today that I want to present. What do you do when you're the one that's being confronted? What do you do when somebody's sitting here hearing this message and they turn around and go, hey, because of what Pastor Ken preached, uh, we need to have coffee together. <laughs> How many know what I'm saying, right? What do you do when you're the one that's being confronted because you're the one that messed up? Hmm. I won't have any show of hands, but, but you know what I mean. How many of you have ever realized it's our words or our action that's the issue? It's not always somebody else. And watch this. Here's why this is important. Because if you're a Jesus follower, this is serious business, everybody. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're trying to be a Christian, this, this is all part of the terms of being a Jesus follower, that we're considerate of one another, that we think about our actions. And, and God has called us to be good stewards of our words. Good stewards of not just our words, but it's not just the words, but it's how we say our words. It's when we say our words. It's where we say our words. It's why we say our words. Come on, right, everybody? Because we are called, watch this, Christians, Christ followers, are called to be, we're called to be others first. Mm, all right, well, I'm going to keep on working on it then. Others first. See, society says it's all about look out for number one. But Jesus says, look out for others. Love your enemies as yourself. You see, we're called to be life-giving, right, everybody? 
We're called to be life-giving. Wait, wait a minute. When I say that Radius Church is life-giving, you applaud. Yeah, it's life-giving. Well, that means those that attend Radius, you go out and you're life-giving when you're not in these walls. Come on, somebody, right? We're, we're called to be hope dealers. Uh, our words and our tones, they are important. And here's what I know. If I could survey all the non-Christians today, if there's any non-Christians in the room, if there's any non-Christians, non-Christ followers watching online, if we could get your co-workers, your family, your non-Christian friends all together in one room, and you weren't allowed to be there, so this is church for unchurched people. If I could get all of our webs of influence together sitting in these black chairs and interview them, I believe that they would be more curious about Jesus if the Christians that you have seen, non-Christians, and the Christians that you have heard, non-Christians, and if they had been more considerate and more gracious with their words, I bet the statistics would say they would be more curious about a life of following Jesus Christ. I believe that. I, I would, and, and watch this, it's not just the words and the actions toward the non-believers, even the words that were not directed at them, but to the people or the groups of people that they love and care about. Uh, and, and here's my resolve on that, and I hope this would be yours too. I don't want my words to be the conflict that pushes people away from Jesus. I don't even want my personal conviction to be the thing that pushes others away from Jesus. And a lot of people take their own personal convictions, they find a Bible verse that supports it, and they begin to preach that, and they push people farther from God than drawing people closer to God. And how many know I'm right about that, right? Yeah. Sometimes the confrontation then, if that's true, is pointing at me. Mm -hmm. Come on, how many of you learned this in, like when you were in kindergarten? When you point at me, there's three pointing back at you. And, and, hey, I'm telling you, those kindergartners, they're smart because it is so true. And so here's my proposal. What if we viewed every conversation, I mean every conversation as a construction zone? What if we just imagine every word was like I'm at a construction zone and every word, every conversation is either building something up, remodeling something, or tearing something down with our words? What am I building up? And, and what are the times, according to this series, that I need to do a little remodeling? A little remodeling in my marriage, a little remodeling in my home, a little remodeling with my coworkers, or am I just tearing down? Wow, it's a thought. So here's three dynamics. A couple of them we've already touched on in this series, but I want to hit them in a, just a little bit different way. So here's three dynamics to consider. Number one, words are not equally weighed. How many know that's true? Right? Words are not equally weighed. And, and man, that needs a whole series because it's powerful. But negative, how many would agree with me by a signaling of hands or an amen, negative words outweigh positive words? Isn't it true? It's true. I, I, I can get a compliment. I can get 15 compliments today and get one criticism. And guess what I'm going to talk about all the way home? Guess what I'm, I'm going to be mad about? All, come on, don't look at me like you expect more because you do the same thing. I've forgotten every compliment because one person didn't like the temperature of the room. How I many you know what I'm saying, right? Okay, and, and, and so it's so true. And it's scientific. I went down a wormhole when I was studying this, and it's scientifically true that negative outlasts positive. 
I don't know if I was told over and over as a kid that I was loved, but I don't remember it. I can't find it in my memory. I probably was. I mean, I had to have been, right? But I can't find it in my memory. But I can remember the color shirt the person was wearing when they told me I was stupid. Come on now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Isn't it true, right? And, and I don't know about you. I don't know what your stats are, but I'm so messed up. I need like at least 100 compliments to one criticism. Is anybody else like me? Who's like me? Anybody show hands? All right. Just want you to know you're beautiful. You're awesome. Big arms. All right. You're awesome. Just want you to know. Anybody else? All right. Okay, so the rest of you, I got a criticism for you. All right. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, but, but isn't it true, right? Okay, number two, the second dynamic I want you to know is source determines the weight. Source, where it comes from, determines whether it has weight or not. Man, this just came to my mind. The word honor means weightiness. So if you honor the person, what they say has weight to it. If you don't honor, if, if they don't have a place in your life, what they say should be light, that's why those referees can be at the Seahawks game and everybody can boo them, but they don't know them. And so they're getting booed, but they're standing firm on their wrong call. How many know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> right? That just came to me, by the way. All right. See, it all has to do with who says it. When my dad said he was proud of me, wow. It's like up till that point I was breathing out of a straw. When he said, son, I love you and I'm proud of you, it's all of a sudden I removed the straw and, oh, whoa. It has a different weight to it. When my pastor, Tommy Barnett, comes to me and says, hey, Ken, when you're preaching, don't do this one little thing that you do. I'm like, yes, sir, absolutely. But when a critic comes and says that, I say, never come back to my church. You know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, come on. It's just the truth because you have to earn the right to be heard. And what happens is we don't have relationships today, but we got a lot of flapping lips. Everybody thinks they can say anything, anytime to anybody. No, you got to get in the trenches with somebody to earn the right to be heard. Can I please get an amen on that, someone? Right? And, and, and as a friend, like my, my best friend from high school lived here for about six months with me. And we'd go to the gym together and we watch football together. We'd go hiking together. And, and my relationship with him is a friend. And, and, and he might say something dumb about a football game. And I might say, you're such an idiot. But as a pastor, I could never say, you're just such an idiot. Right? Because the weight and the relationship it's de rather, it's determined by who says what. Come on, right? Right, right, right. Number three is, I didn't mean to look at you, by the way, on that. Just, you know, it's one of the detriments of sitting on the front row, okay? Number three, number three is intent is usually irrelevant. This is where I want to do a deep dive. The intent is usually, come on, how many in this room have ever said something to somebody or done something to somebody, it hurt them, and we went to them and said, that's not what I meant. Anybody at all besides me? Okay, if you're married, your hand ought to be up right now. <laughs> uh, I, in fact, never mind. All right, I got to stay on track, all right? There is no necessary correlation between what we intend and what the outcome is. There's not a correlation. And, and, and now watch this. This is important to hear because some people will say, well, that's on them. If I say something, they get their feelings hurt, that's on them. No, it's on us 
because we're called to be the mature ones. We're called to take the high road. We're called to be life-giving. We're called to be hope dealers. We are the followers of Jesus. It's not on them. It's on us, everybody. I worked for a pastor when we first started ministry, and he was really brash on people. And he would say things like, well, they just need to get on board. And, and, you know, they're just falling, but they just need to get on board. And I kept thinking, no, no, they don't need to get on board. You need to convince them why they need to get on board. See, as leaders and as Christians, we got to go to where people are, not where we expect them to be. Are you tracking with that? I know you expect somebody. I know you expect more. But what are you doing to bring them to that place? It's not their problem. I believe it's our problem. And if we don't see it as our problem, it will become our problem. Right? My intent. Listen, as a pastor, I stand on this platform and I speak hundreds if not thousands of words to hundreds if not thousands of people, and I know this. I get misrepresented and misinterpreted all the time. It's crazy. On any given Sunday, somebody will come by in the foyer and say, oh, thank you so much for making that bold statement on such and such. It really brought light and revelation to me. Thank you very much. The next person in line will say, I can't believe you said that, right? So, and and. And so here's what I know, that I constantly, because of the position I have as a pastor, but watch this, don't leave it on me, the position we have as followers of Jesus, I am constantly working on how I communicate. Constant. I've been doing this for 37 years, and it still blows my mind how one person thinks I was being mean, and one person thinks I was being funny, and one person says, man, that's the greatest thing I ever heard. And so I'm constantly working on, because it's not their problem, it's my weightiness, and it's my responsibility. Come on, is that making sense to anybody? And see, it's easy for me to say, well, if you know my heart, then you know my intent. And that is true. Those that are real close to me, they know, oh, Ken didn't mean it that way. I know know him, but not everyone knows my heart, so I can't use the same language with everyone. Come on, Facebookers. <laughs> I can't use the same language with everybody. Come on. That's not being hypocritical. That's just being sensitive to where the world is. I can't just post any feeling I feel like on the internet and think that it's okay. Come on now, right? And, and, and it's interesting because in the physical world, we accept this. So let me give you an example. If, if there was a husband and wife, and the husband really liked old cars, and, and the wife didn't really, but, and if the wife ever accidentally backed into your 1960 mint condition Cadillac, <laughs> hypothetically, of course, the response in the physical world, well, as long as you're okay, dear, <laughs> right? But emotionally, it doesn't work the same way, all right? Watch this. Here's the principle. In fact, I want to put it on the screen. Explaining does not equal repairing. Come on now. Now, I asked permission to tell this next story. Patty was in her early 20s working at an insurance company, beautiful building in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the building was kind of sunk down uh, into the ground, parking lot's a little bit higher. She had just got a new car, one of them first cars that talked to you, you know, talk to you, tell you to buckle up, it, all, all the same. It was a manual transition, transmission. She got out of the car and thought she put it in gear, Thought she put the emergency brake on. Come on, where's all my other people that have done that in their life? I've done it. 
I've done it. Come on, show Patty a little love if you've done it, huh? All right, okay, you're here? Okay, good, all right, all right. You guys should start a life group. Anyway, um, and so she's walking to the front door, and she tells the story now. She's seen this blue something pass her, but it never registered. And so she got in the building. It was a kind of a high-rise building, but one of the corner offices was at ground level. And when she got to the main door, she seen a bunch of commotion. And she looked, and there was a car inside the window on a person's desk, everything destroyed. Now, now, now here's what I know. She explained what had happened. In the South, we say it like this, what had happened was, (laughs) all right, that's how we say it. But she explained what happened. But watch this, even though she explained what happened, the window was still damaged. The desk was still damaged. The car was still damaged. Her ego was still damaged. How many know what I'm talking about? Even though she explained it, there was still there was still a, a consequence of what happened. And sometimes with our words, an explanation can only pour salt into the wounds that our first words already created. How many know that's true? I know, I know why there's not a lot of amens right here, because this is a whole husband and wife thing. And you're like, I don't know what he's talking about, dear. I, I, don't, I don't know. See, explaining it, it doesn't fix it, but how many would at least agree with sometimes it only makes it worse? Yeah, yeah. Watch. When the offender starts explaining, it feels like they are defending their action rather than apologizing for their action. Woo, come on now. I'm sorry, but you just make me so mad. Well, that's not an apology. That's a blame of why I messed up. Come on now. In those moments, we don't need an explanation. I'll give you another story. Uh, My uncle Rod, he lives in Gig Harbor, and I lived with him a few times as a kid. And one summer, I think I was about eight, uh, I lived with him, and my grandma was really into her yard. Beautiful flowers everywhere. I mean, the most gorgeous yard you've ever seen. And she had all these little garden gnomes, little garden elves. You guys, you know, you have these demons in your yard, anybody at all? Okay. (laughs) And so she had, and she made them. They were all ceramic. She made them. They were sitting all over in the place. Well, me and Rodney, we decided we were going to play croquet. How many know croquet is not a game for an eight-year-old? How many know what I'm talking about, right? Not the old-fashioned kind where the, the, the ball that you hit is like an a, like a illegal weapon. You know what I'm talking about? And so I hit one, and it rolled across the yard, and it hit one of the little demons, and it cracked open. And, 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 and so uh, he got mad at me. He said, man, what, boy, you got to slow down. And that made me mad. So I hit again, and I shattered one. I mean, the first one was in two pieces. The next one was like in 200 pieces. Hey, I'm eight. Give me a break, everybody, all right? Uh, and, 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 and so I, I broke Grandma's elves. And, and I'm thinking, because Grandma's nice to her grandson, I'm thinking we ought to gather the broken pieces and go to Grandma and put on them sad little eight-year-old eyes say, Grandma, I'm so sorry. Please, sir, I want some more. You know, I mean, like, I, I mean, just like really pour it on. And, and Uncle Rodney, he said, no, not at all. That's the dumbest idea I ever heard. He said, gather the pieces, meet me in the bedroom, and, and I'll get some glue. And we're down there trying to glue billions of pieces together, and Grandma walks in. How many have ever seen the movie The Good, Bad, and the Ugly? Let me see your hands. When that door opened, it was like grandma, wah, wah, wah. You know, I mean, it was like, it was on. I want you to know. See, when we are shattered by conflict, we need to glue 
the relationship back together, we don't need to explain why we are shattered. Mm. Have you ever been hurt and, and the person tries to explain and then the person wonders why you're still upset because they've already apologized and why can't we be back to the way we were? Have you ever had this? Anybody at all besides me? Okay. Uh, it's so insensitive. See, an authority in my life, I've told this story over and over, but I had an authority in my life as a kid that called me stupid. And then, and I distinctively remember a few times after being said, oh, you're stupid, you kids get on my nerves, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Only to later then, that same authority come back and explain, well, I had a bad day. And the reason I yelled at you is, I've just had a bad day. And, and they might have had a bad day, but then they would get frustrated that I didn't forget what happened and just automatically be in a good mood. I, I mean, as a little kid, I don't have the emotional bandwidth to just change gears like that. An authority that you love just called you stupid, and then they come back and say, oh, the reason I did that is because I've had a bad day. It's not like, oh, okay, Beeve, let's go fishing. You know, it's not, it's, it doesn't work that way. How many know what I'm saying, right? And, 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 and while I'm criticizing on that, when I've hurt someone, I have the same tendency to always explain my intent, but my intent does not change the fact that the garden elf has been shattered. Right, everybody? Now, it might have come out sincerely wrong, and I'm so sorry, and I didn't mean it that way. I was trying to be funny. It didn't come out right. I get that. But I didn't intend to split Jake's chin either. But guess whose fault it was? Can anybody guess? You got a 50-50 chance here. <laughs> I didn't mean to, but it still was bleeding. It still needed attention. It still needed healing, and it was still my fault. When we give intent, it actually communicates blame on them. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. In other words, if you wouldn't have been standing there, come on, kid, can't you see there's a hole under that board? See, when I begin to explain, it's communicating blame on them, and I am blaming them for taking it the wrong way. It's your fault. You took me wrong. It's your fault. You're too sensitive. It's your fault. You can't take a joke. Now it's not even my fault. It's all on you. Come on. You, does any, you follow what I'm saying? See, here's what I know. Explaining sounds like blaming. It does. Now, come on. If you're the one having to go and apologize, then you're resisting this. But if you're the one in the need of an apology right now, you're like, yahoo, about time somebody said this. Because explaining, it sounds like blaming. Early in our marriage, I would raise my voice. It was the only way I knew. I came from a very loud family, not just loud in personality, but loud in, um, in temperament in a, in, a, in a broken kind of a way, name-calling kind of a way, win an argument at any cost. Patty comes from a family that's very soft-spoken, very thoughtful about what they say, very logical in their communication. And so I would raise my voice and I would hurt her feelings early on, cause her to cry. And, and, and I would say things like this, well, that's just the way I talk. I mean, no, that is not what she needed to hear. Come on. Ladies, where are you at? This is your chance to say, that's not, look, I got a little five-year-old girl raising her hand. Yep, that's right. 
that pastor is so stupid. I mean, you know, right? Okay. Like, like in my explaining, watch this. I, and I remember saying this, man, you're just so sensitive. How many are mad at me now, right now, all right? It's okay. This has been like over, this has been over 30 years ago. Look, all the ladies are like, we hate you. Okay, I'm not being transparent ever again. All right. And so in my explaining, watch this. Ladies, help me right here if I'm right, okay? In my explaining, I was blaming her. Is that right? Yeah, because it's like, that's just the way I talk. Now, why aren't we back? Why aren't we lovey-dovey again? I've done my part. What is your problem, girl? I didn't say that. I'm just trying to emphasize I don't need to pour more gas on the fuel. Obviously, the ladies are uptight now. When I was five years old, uh, this thumb right here, uh, my dad was trying to sell this car. Is that power back on all of a sudden? What's going on? All right. It is? Uh, Well, I'm going to keep talking loud so you guys adjust me. All right. When I was five years old, my dad was trying to sell this old 50-something model car out in the yard, and he was showing it to a guy, and the back door never really closed right. So when he was showing the car, he didn't want that to be seen, so he slammed the door a little extra hard. Well, I was standing right there, you know, with my hand right there, and the door slammed extra hard, mind you, on this thumb. And uh, now, to this day, this fingernail grows funny, and, and to this day, when it's really cold out, it's sensitive. To this day, if I don't clip it just right, it will send me to the moon. The fact, though, is that he said he was sorry. Why did I have to make such a big deal out of it? He said he was sorry, but watch this. There's still an issue. Now, it's not like you're going to be in the foyer today and we're going to be shaking hands and you're going to go, oh, weird. You know, nobody's going to do that because some of those issues are not necessarily seen by the passerby, but I know that the injury is there. Come on. We don't have it on. Can we put stuff on the board right now? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yes. Okay. So watch this. Put this on the board. Apologies don't always erase accidental injury to the body or sometimes the soul. Right? Come on now. Because some of us get in this habit. Well, I said I was sorry. You're not sorry. You just feel bad. You just feel bad because everything's not hunky-dory and everything's not nice. Uh, he said, my dad said he was sorry, but I, but I still have the consequences. Uh, and I forgive you, but I'm still dealing with some stuff. I'm, I'm in counseling. I'm going, through, I'm going through some healing. And yeah, I'm a little defensive because I'm not going to let the person that made that wound in me just have keys to the room again. Because I've been on a long journey of healing, come on somebody, that they might not have been on and they think their words are still okay. Is anybody hearing this, right? Remember this. I said this in this series that tr- or, uh, forgiveness is given. Do I have that? Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. I can forgive somebody immediately, but trust is not right now. Now, um, an apology given with an explanation sounds more like an excuse than it does an apology. Watch this. Here's an important thought. I'm not always convinced that words are an accident. Watch this. Listen to this real careful. When my dad slammed my finger in the door, I knew that was an accident. I mean, I knew. In my little eight-year-old brain, I know he wasn't laying in bed at night going, wow, how could I destroy my son's thumb? How could I do that? He wasn't doing that. So I knew in the physical world that was an accident. But here's how the devil plays on our emotions. 
When somebody says something like, you're stupid, and then they say they had a bad day, you might think, oh, they didn't mean to say that, or do they really think I'm stupid? See, when it's a physical accident, we can excuse it away. But when it's words and actions that hurt the soul, there will always be that little voice in, do they really think that about me? Are they right? Hmm, are you hearing that? Here's how Jesus' brother, uh, James, said it in James chapter number 3. This is a rather lengthy portion of Scripture, but let's read through it. I think it'll be worth it to us. And then I'll pull a couple of points out of that, and you'll be on your way. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Isn't that true? Right? Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Think about that. I've got horse people in here. I've got Navy people in here. I've got fishermen in here. So you get the illustration, right? Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes a great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And we know a little bit about that around here too. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Isn't that true? Right? How many relationships have we burned down with the tongue, right? And... and um, Let's pick up in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless, it is restless, it is evil, and it is full of deadly poison. Wow. Let's go on a little bit farther. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. That should not be. Mm -mm. who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praises and cursing. And, and I've been in church my whole life, and it's true. I've watched Christians praise God and turn around and fight in the foyer and lose their salvation over a parking spot in the parking lot. Come on now. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow out of the same spring? Ooh, there's a verse for you. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Wow, there's a lot there. And, and, but let me just boil it down to a couple things. James here is talking about we got to have mouth control. <laughs> I mean, really, we got to control our mouths. No, you can't just say anything. No, you can't just say anything anywhere to anyone at any time. No, you, you can't. Watch this. One of the uh, aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So if we're growing in Jesus, we ought to have self-control. Can I get an amen on that? And, and here's what I know. Mouth control might be the ultimate self-control. I can resist a lot of things. I'm a pretty disciplined kind of guy. But I'm telling you, mouth control might be the ultimate self-control. And, and I want to give somebody a challenge. I know this isn't for everybody. It's going to come out a little bit harsh. But mouth control. Stop making light of it. Here's what I mean. Oh, well, you know me. I just say what's on my mind. 
You know me, I just put my foot in my mouth. You know me, I'm going to tell them like it is. Uh, Yeah, and you're not going to have any friends either, and you're going to die alone also, right? In other words, what I'm saying is quit making excuses for it. Quit making a stronghold for it. Well, that's just the way that I am. Then change, because mouth control is serious, and my mouth can either destroy or it can build up. And don't let your tongue be a fire that burns down a life, that burns down a dream, that burns down a marriage that burns down some hope. Come on, don't let your tongue be that. All right, I got to close. Let me close with a few little points just to kind of conclude this series on this. Here's the application. If you're here today or you're listening online and you're the offender, what do I do? Oh, Ken, what do I do? I'm the offender. If you're the offender, if you made the mistake, and we're going to make mistakes, we're going to say wrong things. We're going to zig when we should have zagged and joke and we shouldn't have. And we're just, we're humans, okay? But, but when we mess up, we got to own that. And, and, and so if you're the offender, um, let me give you a couple just real practical points. If you're the offender and you're being confronted with the conflict, number one, here it is. Here's what you got to do. Can I get number one? Here's what you need to say. I'm sorry and I repent. Do we still have notes? Oh, we're dead. Okay. All right. So here's, we have to say this. I'm sorry, I repent. Wait, let's do this again. I offended Patty. I come to her. I'm sorry. I repent. Does anybody feel awkward yet? See, we want to fill all the awkward silence. I want to say this. I'm going to say it in a rude way just to get your attention. Say you're sorry and shut up. I know it's awkward. I know you want there to be more said. But as soon as you start explaining, you go to blaming. And when you go to explaining, now it's on them. You're so sensitive. You just made me so mad. If you hadn't, if you would have zigged when you were supposed to zag, if you would have not, if you would have looked in your mirror, if you would have, come on, everybody. And it's awkward because we like to fill all the, let me give you an example. When we moved back to town and we were getting ready to start Radius, there was a lady in town uh, that was rather upset with me, and she heard we were starting a church. And I thought maybe she was interested in coming to the church. She asked to have a meeting with us, and so Patty and I met her at a coffee shop. She pulled out a five- or six-page letter, and she read of all the reasons that she was mad at me. And, and, and the letter read something like this. When you left, then I stopped going to church because I was mad. And when I stopped going to church, my kid, my grown kids stopped going to church. Now the grandkids aren't being raised in church. And now their marriage is in trouble. And she went down this whole list. Now, now watch this. There was a whole lot of flaws in her letter. Because even though I left and it hurt her feelings, how many know she still had a choice? Mm -hmm. And how many know that was tempting to say? Uh But I let her read her whole letter. And she got done. Patty was my witness. I looked her square in the eye and said, I'm so sorry. And it was that awkward. Because she was prepared for a fight. I'm just, I'm just so sorry. And the reason I'm back is because I'm repenting. 
I'm turning around. I am just so sorry. And then she said, is that all you got to say for yourself? And I said, well, let me tell you one thing. <laughs> Patty was there, and she was squeezing my knee. <laughs> and I said, yeah, in this situation, that's all I have to say is I am truly sorry. And that's all I said. Repentance and humility elevate the hurt person. It diffused her. She wanted to fight, but it diffused her. And you know what she needed more than anything? To be diffused. She needed to be diffused. Number two is don't take, take charge of the restoration process. Okay? So number one, say I'm sorry. Number two, if you're the offender, don't take charge of the restoration process. If I hurt Mike, okay, and I come to Mike and say, Mike, I am so sorry. I repent. Now, it's not my responsibility to take charge of how fast he moves on restoration. Come on now. I just took the blank, I took the ball and I put it in his court. I'm sorry. Are you better yet? Are you better yet? Are we good? Come on, you want to go have coffee and Twinkies? I mean, come on, buddy, come on. Are you good? No, don't take charge. It's not your responsibility at this point. They're the hurt one. They are the ones. You've built the bridge. It's up to them whether they walk on the bridge or not. Blessed are the peacemakers. So I went to make peace, okay? So, so I'm honoring God in that. But I can't take charge of the restoration. Hey, how about we? Hey, how about we? No, no. Now I'm putting more pressure on him to be healed at the speed that I want him healed at. Okay, let me do a couple more. I know they're a little tough. If you get on the app, all these notes are in there because we obviously have issues. Number three is stop telling them how bad you feel about it. I know this is my tendency because I really do. But it doesn't help. It really doesn't, because watch this. This is going to come across wrong, especially if you've messed up as much as me and you really do feel bad. This is going to really, this is going to be awkward for you. But if you've ever been apologized to, and and they're trying to restore, see, when I keep telling you how bad I feel about it, what I'm really doing is requesting empathy back from you. I want you to feel sorry for me because I messed up. Quit telling them how bad you feel, hmm? Uh, because it's not about how bad you feel. It's about how bad they feel, right? Uh, here's a funny story. Uh, I was this week, I think it was Wednesday night. Is AJ, he's probably busy. Wednesday night, uh, all the kids were on a flight uh, from Seattle to California, and I was uh, literally five minutes uh, from walking out on a platform to talk to a room full of men, and my phone started blowing up. It, hey, the church building, there's a fire. And, and like, I'm five minutes from preaching. I'm like, oh, okay, yippee. Okay, you know, like, I, you know, and I'm like, you know, 1,500 miles away. And, 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 and so I started thinking about this issue. Uh, you can either, when it comes to a fire, you can either contain the fire or you can extinguish the fire. Now, both of them aren't bad, but how many would rather extinguish the fire right, then contain the fire. Here's, the reason I thought about that when I heard of it, everything was okay. It wasn't here. It was in the parking lot. AJ had it handled. But here's what I'm saying. Explaining is not extinguishing, nor is it containing. Repentance contains it and hopefully will extinguish it. Let me say it again. Repentance will contain it 
It might not extinguish it because remember, that's up to them. But it might extinguish it. Okay, and then the last one I'm going to give you, number four, and you'll be on your way. Number four is let them be in charge of the forgiveness. Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? You know, right? Okay. Listen, I'm sorry. And I hope one day you'll forgive me. That's it. That is it. It takes a lot of humility. And humility is making you more important than me. The minute I explain, I'm elevating me. Why I did it. Why I did it. Why, 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 why I'm really a good person. Why you should still love me. Why? why? No, 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 no. I'm elevating me. I'm sorry. And I hope one day you'll forgive me. I'm going to work really hard in the meantime to do better. That's it. That, 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 that is it. Amen. Will you receive that? That's the end of this series, everybody. All right? <laughs>